Well, MotoGP for 2020 has actually happened. After all the drama and all the worry, it has given us huge excitement. But most of all, it gave us the unknowing of who was actually going to win each weekend. Welcome here to the Race MotoGP podcast. Toby Moody and Simon Patterson chatting through Portimao and the return of MotoGP to Portugal for the first time since 2012 when it was last at Estoril. Of all the races to have happened without spectators, it had to happen at Portugal because Miguel Oliveira, the hometown hero, he blitzed it. Pole position, led every lap, fastest lap, and he won the race. The gentleman's set. All at the beautiful circuit that is Portimao. MotoGP, it doesn't go to Monza, but we do go to Mugello. We don't go to Monaco, but again, we go to Mugello where all the stars turn up. We don't go to Suzuka anymore, but hey. However, we do go to the most famous of Thousand Lakes rally stages in Finland. It's called Oninpoja. And that essentially was what it was like to see MotoGP bikes around Porto Mayo. What was the second Austria victory on the last corner for Oliveira, almost a sniper's shot in the melee of battle. Really, Simon, it was a long-range ballistic missile that was calculated months ago, <laughs> fired off from miles away, continents away for Miguel, and it went right down the chimney of the exact house that he wanted, his <laughs> home race. What a weekend it was. I'm so happy for him. Can you tell? He, I can. There's a little tell in your voice there. Uh, he, he couldn't have done a better job. He just could not have done anything more perfect all weekend long to get all his ducks in a row and to just knock it out of the park. You know, the, the win in Austria was fantastic it was clever it was right place right time it was thinking man's win which you expect from miguel because he'd studied the race the year before he'd saw what might happen he put himself in the right spot but there was a little bit of someone else's mistake let him win it then he turned up this weekend and he just basically cleared off into the sunset they never even saw him um franco morbidelli said after the race he spent he spent two laps at the start of the race clinging on to the back of Miguel and it was two laps to know his bike set up better than anyone else's. And then he never saw him again. What did Miguel say after the race? He said, um, yes, Austria almost gave me more elation because it was the surprise factor, whereas the race here in Portugal was the longest race I've ever done. <laughs> There's not many, though, that we've seen do pole position, fastest lap, win the race, you know, like that. I mean, it, yeah. it's a kind of Rossi domination on a Repsol Honda V5 or Hayden at Laguna or Stoner at Phillip Island. They don't come along very often, and that's a real, a real look into the future we've got with Oliveira. I think so. He, he showed his real capabilities yesterday. He showed the KTM's real capabilities. It just so happened that he did it at his home race. But I don't think you can chalk it all down to, oh, he only did it because he was in Portugal. I spoke last night with, uh, you know, with the other guys in the podium. Morbidelli straight up said, look at where the guys who have raced here before were. Hell, I've raced here before and I couldn't beat him because he was obviously there in the European Superstock 600 Championship many moons ago. Miller said, 
there's nothing about track knowledge because he doesn't know Phillip Island any better than anyone else in the championship. He lives at the other end of Australia. He says, whenever you come to your home race, sometimes there's just a, the word Jack used was aura about you. There's just something that makes everything a little bit easier. And, and then speaking to Miguel, he said that, you know, he didn't feel like anything was different. There was no fans there to make it a crazy weekend for him. He doesn't know the track much better than anyone else. They had two hours of testing on Friday to get up to speed. But what was different was that the team just seemed a little bit more focused. The team were feeding off his energy a little bit. They realized how important a win in Portugal would be. Everything was done right. Everything was triple checked. Nothing went wrong. And that just, you know... I'm not taking anything away from what he did, but he had all the tools he needed all weekend to make it a perfect weekend. Yes, Simon, it was almost a case of who was going to come second. Well, that was their choice between Morbidelli and uh, and Miller. Miguel Oliveira said, already after the first lap, I could relax a little. And he said afterwards he could then manage things from there. I don't think he's ever going to have to buy a meal in Portugal ever again. Uh, you've been there. You've been out and around the outskirts of the track and the area. Um, he is a national hero. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he's on TV selling new cars to people. Uh, he was sponsored this weekend by the the biggest, you know, the, the sort of the Spanish equivalent of Vodafone, or the Portuguese equivalent of Vodafone, which was the title sponsor of the race, also slapped on the top of his helmet. Um he is very much, yeah, maybe not quite Cristiano Ronaldo, but, you know, he's up there in that levels in terms of Portuguese sport. We saw uh, we saw videos of him on Thursday, and then he, he told us the story. He set out to drive to the circuit. He, he drove past a, a fuel station not too far from his home, and there was a couple of bikers sitting at it, and they pulled out behind him. Then he drove another few miles and there was a few more bikers sitting at a fuel station. By the time he got to the circuit, he had a convoy of 150 people behind him just to drive him to the circuit and say good luck this weekend. Yeah, they're a very, very passionate lot, but in a different kind of way to the Spaniards or the Italians. It's a, yeah, it's it a very is. humble kind of outpouring and very polite almost, if I could say that. I, I think uh, there might be a few Spanish friends take exception to that, but I get what you mean. Yes, I didn't mean to completely ostracise <laughs> half of the Iberian Peninsula from the UK, but you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Oliveira's season, three non-scores. Jerez, Austria, Barcelona. I mean, just another 20 points, and he would have been third in the World Championship. Yeah, you, <laughs> you have to kind of feel like if he'd been the only KTM in a few races this year, and not been uh, T-boned by Brad Bender and T-boned by Paul Espargaro at various points, it could have been a very different season for him. But, you know, that's racing. Um, if we start looking at who could have been where if people hadn't made mistakes, it's a very different championship, you know. Arguably, if Franco Morbidelli's engine hadn't blown up at Hareth when he was on track for uh, on track for second place, he would have won the championship. That's just the nature of this crazy compressed year with, you know, with so, so such a big punishment for such small mistakes with, with how compressed the schedule has been. An independent team, one, two and three, I say independent, they are, you know, morphing towards works bikes with different colours on. We've touched on that before in previous podcasts, but Oliveira did say 
now that he's looking forward to going to the works KTM squad next year, it will be more complicated in the works team next year, but there will be more people to solve problems for me. You know, more complicated. I sort of take that as more pressure, but if anybody can take it, it's him. Um, so that's a step forward that he can look forward to. It's got to work. I can't see how it can't work. Arguably, it's a step forward, but arguably it's not. Because when you look at some of the other teams in the championship who are doing exceptionally well at the minute, it's because there's not a lot of people to solve problems. It's because things aren't so complicated. You know, the smallest factory in MotoGP won the championship this year. And the reason that the Suzuki guys put that down to in large part is because everybody in Suzuki knows everybody. Nothing happens too quickly. Everything is measured and calm. You look at the guy that finished second in the championship, Franco Morbidelli, and he's running last year's bike with an extremely experienced crew chief in Ramon Fricata. And they're just making sure the bike is completely perfect without any Japanese engineers getting in the way to confuse things or to, you know, to influence what they're trying to do. There is a lot to be said at the minute for small, lean MotoGP teams rather than big, complicated structures. We know that Tech 3 is a small, lean team. We know that Guy Coulon, who is a crew chief for Oliveira this year, is something of a mad genius who would rather there was never an Austrian engineer in the garage at all. You know, I walked past the... um the back of their truck the other day and Guy was sitting angle grinding a fairing from the factory bike and I just thought there's no other crew chief in the paddock would think all that aerodynamics and wind tunnel testing you did I think I could do better with an angle grinder at the back of the truck yeah <laughs> that's Guy you know he just he fixes his own problems so there's no guarantee that going to the factory team is going to be uh, a huge benefit to him next year. Although, as Jack Miller was very quick to point out yesterday to him in the press conference, the money's better. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's money's better, but you got more poor PR to do and, and, and yada, yada. But uh, hey ho. We've all seen that picture of Miguel Oliveira getting the autograph from Alex Barros after the Esther Real Portuguese Grand Prix back in 2005. Barros won it on a Camel Honda V5. And there's this little kid, starry-eyed, looking up to this Brazilian Portuguese-speaking hero who had just won a Grand Prix. What a shame that there weren't any spectators and fans there yesterday for some little kid to bump into Oliveira at the back of the garage and look up at him starry-eyed and one day be a MotoGP race winner and potential world champion in, I don't know, another another 15 years or so, 15 years or so. It's a great picture. I love stuff like that. There is one good piece of news. I, from what I understand from my sources, the next European MotoGP race will be at Portimao. Oh, so it'll kick off the season. And there may be some fans in attendance. That's what I understand. Argentina and Texas are in doubt. There's a two-race gap to fill. The first scheduled European race is Jerez. If one of those is cancelled, we just go a week early and we go to Portimao. Hopefully with a vaccine in place so that people can come into the paddock again. Again, touching on Oliveira's win, he won it by 3.1 seconds. Only Quattararo and Binder won by 
a bigger gap this year. Both Quattararo's Jerez races, Binder winning at, at Bruneau. So it was quite... Worth noting that Binder's gap was only so big because the battle for second ended up in the gravel trap. Granted, granted. A dominant race victory and the world champion... Well, he didn't have quite a dominant day. If any day was going to be not good for Juan Mir, it was going to be the race after he'd wrapped up the championship for 2020. Uh, it didn't quite work out. It doesn't really matter. It will matter to some Japanese engineers. It will worry them what really happened. But I suppose the fans watching and the people outside the garage We'll just sort of say, well, there you go. It's done. It's done. Great line from Mir, though, afterwards. He said of this year, I discover a part of me I never knew before. Sometimes I knew I couldn't make any mistakes being in the races this year, and I didn't. Again, more one-liners that keep you absolutely gripped to everything he says. The guy is a genius. I, I genuinely think, you know, that nowadays it's not good enough to be just a fast MotoGP rider. You have to be fast and intelligent. You look at the guys coming through, you know, Franco Morbidelli, Mir, uh, Rins. They're intelligent, clever thinking guys, just like Valentino Rossi and Marc Marquez. And that's, you know, that I think that's the, the new standard now. And it means that we're going to keep getting philosophical good quotes like that which is quite good especially when you realize he's only 23 years old oh don't <laughs> although i think we might have had a first yesterday i need to talk in with the, the good dr martin rains on this we have three world champions this year in moto 3 moto 2 and moto gp and all three of them are 23 years old oh that's pub quiz of all pub quiz <laughs> <laughs> Talking about world championships and, 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 and where people have lied, it's great for MotoGP to obviously have a fresh winner. And we've got this new fresh set coming through. We've got a new top three in the championship. But let's just have a quick look back at 2019 in the championship. Rins was fourth. <laughs> Morbidelli was 10th. And Mia was 12th. <laughs> Isn't that just fantastic? Isn't it brilliant? I think it, it, it shows, Mir's result from last year shows uh, maybe better than anything, just how badly beaten up he was. Um, he had that big injury in testing at Bruno, and it kind of, he never complained about it because that's the type of person he is, but that really messed up his year. He, uh, he ended up with really badly bruised lungs. And even in Sepang, when we got there, what's that? August, September, October, November months later, the guy couldn't take a full breath of, of air because of the heat of the air there was was searing his lungs. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a... He didn't get a chance to show his true colours last year in his rookie year, which has made this year's surprise, or made this year's performance a real surprise. I think if if we'd seen him be fully fit until the end of last season, we would be much less surprised about what he's done this year. There'd have been a, a bit more of the more of the Quattararo about him. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what did happen to Suzuki uh, in the race? They were they were looking at the rear. They were looking at the back. They had problems with the electronics on the Saturday, and it reared its ugly head again on Sunday. Very bizarre. Yeah, Rin said he went with the wrong tire, plain and simple. Um, 
we know that there was something up with the electronics on Mir's bike. There was something that they couldn't quite get addressed through qualifying day. And um, he was he was very cagey about what happened last night, but it looked very similar. You know, that, that sort of, it looked like he was uh, not getting a throttle response. If you watch some of the clips where he has moments with people, he tries to open the throttle and the bike kind of goes, Bruh! That's not really what you want. Yeah. No. So, understandably, he parked it. But if it's going to go wrong at any point, that was the risk this year for it to go wrong in, wasn't it? I mean, in the old days, it would be, ah, well, they had a big party and that's it. They can't be bothered. But uh, (laughs) in the the old days... They did have a big party, trust me. But but it's not like them not to be bothered. No, 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 no. You know, in in the old days, it would be... Oh, well, I'll start the race. I'll take my start money. And there is a swimming pool at the racetrack, so a lap 10, I'll jump in it. (laughs) But it's a bit different nowadays. Just one other thing to throw in while we're talking about him, actually. Uh, Just talking about personality and what sort of a guy he is as well. Obviously, us journalists have been locked in a a separate media centre this year. All our debriefs have been via Zoom. We haven't actually seen a rider all year. Well, we were all sitting working last night and Andrea Devizioso, Cal Crutchlow and Juan Mir walked in to say hello, which was uh, a nice touch. Very good of them. Shows the sort of guys Very they are. Very good of them. Yes, I saw the pictures. Very good. Very cool. Yeah. Um, they're the kind of pictures, Simon, that I have in my archive, which is you don't need to look at them for about 15 years. But when you do, <laughs> then they'll start to really have uh, yeah. have the resonance with them. Um. Where should we go next? Uh, KTM, um, they have had three wins this year. It's the fourth year of the project. Um, I've been involved with the team. It's it's quite interesting, Simon. You see the management more often than not in the garage that have flown over from Austria. Uh, Stefan Pira, Hubert Trunkenpoltz, Kini Gadner. You know, the, the, there's even more of a of a push, and that's that's going to be pressure for them coming forward into 2021 but also they know that they can be there they're more often than not in the in q in q2 in i don't know top eight top six top five podium of course for for pole this year uh binder's got to get better as this as the season goes on next year the pressure's on the pressure's off how do you look at it for them going forward i I think it won't change too much within that team. I think they put themselves under immense pressure from day one. There was no none of the talk from the likes of Aprilia of we're coming here to compete, we're coming here to see what's capable. KTM rocked up and said, we're going to be winning very shortly here. This is what we do. We don't come to finish second. So there's been a huge amount of a pressure internally since day one. And it's always easier to maintain than to increase, isn't it? They don't really need to increase the level next year now. Um, They will obviously make improvements. They will obviously try to to stay competitive. They will obviously try and fight for the championship. But, you know, we're in year four and they've won, what, four races this year. If it takes another year to just consolidate what they've done this year and then launch a title effort in 22, knowing that they've got two incredible talents in the form of Brad Binder and Miguel Oliveira on board. I think that's 
that I think that would be enough for them. So maybe not a huge amount of pressure next year. The year after is a different story. I'm very careful not to give too much away of what it was like working for them because I've got to, what's the word I'm looking for? Remember that I was working for the board in confidence. You know, I was working for Mr. Trunkapots, Mr. Pirro, whatever. But yeah, I, I, I can tell you this. One of the lines that I used and actually installed into them was KTM have won everything they've ever done. They've climbed the Grossglockner, which is the highest mountain in Austria. They've climbed Mount uh, Mont Blanc, highest mountain in, in Europe. But, but, but now they've got to climb Everest. You know, um, and they've climbed all the other mountains. They've climbed the big seven. They've been to Africa. They've done everything. But now this is the big one. And that it's not necessarily pressure that I took for them, but there'll be pressure on some people. Of course there is. But there is this culture of we're just going to we're just going to do this. So let's see how it how it works out across the other side of the garage. You know, Tech three. What a job they Last won a race in 2000 coming into this season with 250cc Yamahas with Olivier Jacques and Nakano. Yamaha years, they tried everything. Then they rock up with two wins in, in 2020. You've touched on Guy Coulon being the wise old owl. But looking forward into 2021 quickly, they've got no Red Bull Organics sponsorship. This is just a hunch, and I do not have any inside information. It's just a pure hunch. Might that team be Husqvarna next year? That is an interesting option. That is an interesting option. Um, obviously, yeah, we've seen that the model now being used in uh, in Moto3 with Max Racing. There are KTMs, but they're under Husqvarna colours. Uh, KTM are doing really exciting things with Husqvarna. Some of the bikes that they're producing are awesome. They're They're not just KTM clones, you know. Um, so it is an option. Yeah, it is something we could see. I might be right. I might be wrong. <laughs> the, the only thing that might count against them, the only thing that might dissuade them is, of course, that if they brand them as Husqvarna's and not KTM's, it creates a separate manufacturer and it means they don't get the constructor's points if Tech 3 have a good day. That's the, the only thing that might dissuade that theory. Yes, but ultimately they got to sell lots of motorbikes and as the largest yeah. motorcycle manufacturer in Europe and you know 1.4 billion euro turnover blah 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 it's got to yeah it'll be interesting to see uh, I didn't just to, to explain to people who might be a little bit confused what the Dickens is going on Husqvarna are owned by KTM it is all one of the same uh, so they have got hold of Husqvarna and giving it a good shake over recent years uh, Yamaha uh, nearly best of the rest with Morbidelli in uh, in Portomayo because Miller got his Valencia revenge. Uh, <laughs> Morbidelli said afterwards that the tyre was over. There was nothing really there. But Morbidelli again, um, yes, he's the best finisher, but a great line that came out from him afterwards, he said, yes, I was frustrated at the start of the year that I didn't get the 2020 kit. But with Ramon Focada, the, who you've touched on, and the second races, these double headers, they've always worked well for me. Um, the, the the COVID situation made, made me more serious for my job, he said, more serious at home. So ironically, getting an older bike and being on lockdown 
has worked for Morbidelli. Bizarre almost, but yeah, it seems to be the case. Um, someone messaged me last night to say there's only one question that Maverick Vinales needs to be asked. It's does he regret sacking Ramon Fracada? Getting rid of that amount of experience in the garage and giving it to someone else in Yamaha has arguably been his downfall this year or part of it because it just seems like Ramon, Ramon has the right, he's a huge amount of experience, huge amount of talent, huge amount of, you know, analytical brain power, but he's also got the ability to tell an engineer to fuck off if he really wants them to, because he knows the bike better than him. He's got the kudos to do that because he's been around for so long and, you know, he's a grumpy old man. He's perfect for the role. So it just seems like he, yeah, he's able to use all that experience, use all that knowledge to, you know, make something out of a pig's ear of a Yamaha while everyone else is trying to reinvent the wheel to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Spalders did touch on it on a previous tech podcast, which was you don't want your best mate as the crew chief. You don't want somebody too chummy. You need that hard dad down at the motocross track or the go-kart track yeah. or on the football pitch. You need somebody to go, yeah, 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 I'll help you. Whoa, right, you're wrong. Now you've got to start to ride quicker. You've got to train. You've got to be on time. You've got to be early. And that's exactly what Forcada is. 100%. With the Works Yamaha team, no more Valentino Rossi in Works Yamaha. They did 15 seasons together. Some run, eh? Seven years first time round, and then eight years the second time round. There was two years in the middle when he went to Ducati. They took four MotoGP titles over 255 races. They took 56 victories and 142 podiums. Just think about the trophies for a minute. Line up 142 trophies in a line. That's a long way from all those podiums. Uh, Valentino said a great line after the race, I will never forget the moment when Lynn Jarvis, the team principal, told me I would have a chance to come back to Yamaha. I'll always be thankful for that moment. Maybe because uh, maybe I could also have stopped riding at that time if I wasn't able to return to Yamaha. So there's a little insight into what was going on post-Ducati. He was very upbeat about the race, but 12th will quickly be forgotten uh, for, for Valentino because for him, 2021 starts starts today. It starts now. It starts the day after this last race of 2020. It'll still be a works Yamaha in 2021, but it'll just be in different colours. So as you touched on a moment ago, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out with with a smaller team and a different relaxed atmosphere that Valentino arguably will thrive in, will he not, Simon? I genuinely think it's the best movie you could have made. I think it's going to revitalise him a little bit. I spoke at a long talk on, uh, on Thursday with Alex Briggs, Valley's long-term mechanic who who stepped down yesterday, who, who's gone back home to Australia. And he told me that the most, I asked about, you know, what's, what was the most difficult time? He's been with him since, literally since day one. He was there at the first test on a 500. And he said, it wasn't the two years at Ducati like everyone thinks. It was the last few years at Yamaha 
when he believes they could have fought for the championship and could have fought for many, many more race wins if it wasn't for the interference of other people. And he can't. He wouldn't go into much more detail on that. And you can read it yourself in a few... No, of course, the full feature's coming in a few weeks. You can read it in full detail what he said. But, uh, yeah, that kind of, for me, sums up some of the problems within Yamaha at the minute, some of the competing forces, some of the, you know, different sides of the garage versus the back room trying to fix things. And and I think Valentino's going to get rid of all of that. He's going to go into a new team where his teammate is also his best mate. They're going to have a very different type of pressure. They're going to have a much more relaxed environment. He's going to have fun again. And I think it's going to make them really, really fast again. It's a prototype for the VR46 MotoGP team, isn't it? It's just got a different sponsor down the side. Without a shadow of a doubt. Of course it is. Of course it is. Fabio Quattararo, double bullseye at the start of the year. He won again in Barcelona and he finishes eighth in the world championship. He said after the final Grand Prix, I'm sad for my 2020. And I read that and I went, no, don't say that. He's there last year trying to get a victory. And then he says, I'm sad for my 2020, especially after the beginning that it was. Last year, he had a very different type of pressure from this year. Uh, last year, he was a rookie, he was an underdog, stuffing it up the inside of Mark Marquez was good fun. Everything was relaxed and easy. Almost the worst thing that could have happened to him this year was winning those first two races because then it made him the man to beat. He spent most of the season the guy to beat. And it just didn't work for him. Um, it sounded a little bit like he started listening too much to Maverick Vinales' comments, which is arguably not the brightest <laughs> idea because, you know, this is Maverick. Friday Maverick says we're going to win the race. Saturday Maverick says I have no idea what's going to happen. Sunday Maverick says it was the worst day of my life. Um, so I, I wouldn't put too much. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't listen too much to Maverick. So um, he needs to just sort out his side of the box next year when they move to the factory team. He needs to establish himself within that squad. He needs to make sure that he's he knows what he wants in the year and, and, and try and manage expectations a little bit. With Quattararo winning those Grand Prix together with Morbidelli, uh, that makes up for the independent teams. KTM Tech 3 winning two races, Patronus winning five. Therefore, those independent teams won seven races. That's 50% of the world championship. Do you think the championship is going to change for a couple of years with this smaller team mentality thing? Have the behemoths got too big? Are they... Have they got too much momentum behind them? Too many people? Are they overthinking it? The problem is... um... That the people that report back to Japan and Bologna to say yes or no, our team is too big, is the people that stand to lose their jobs if the, the factories decide to make them smaller. So, no. <laughs> Nobody wants a smaller budget, do they? Exactly, exactly. You know, no one's going to say, oh, you know what? I think the team would be faster if you made me redundant. <laughs> yes, yes. Turkey's Christmas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, well, spinning on from that, from a works team to a uh, to an independent team, do you know who really had the best feeling walking out of the of the paddock last night out of Portomayo? Go on, because it wasn't Miguel Oliveira; it was Danilo Petrucci. Yeah, 
because not only has he got rid of all the mess of this year, yes, he's won a, won a race and it was a great race at Le Mans. He's jumping onto Oliveira's bike. Exactly. He said last <laughs> night, the best thing that Ducati did for him this year was sacking him early because it meant he got himself a Tech 3 KTM. I rest my case. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, old Petrucci. We like him. Uh, Honda, let's touch briefly on them. Stefan Bradl really got hold of the new chassis, got hold of it at the Misano tests and had an autumn going further and further up the grid, going straight into Q2 directly in Portugal, sixth on the grid. It'd be a shame not to see him. <laughs> it well, was, well, if you know what I mean, because yeah. if we do see him, it means that somebody's injured. Yeah, but well, you know hopefully I mean. we have wild cards back next year and Stefan turns up every now and then and shows off his new form. Um, it was incredible. Like, fair play to him, one of the rides of the day. Um, I've got a feeling that what has happened is he spent all season replacing Mark Marquez as a development rider. So he's never really had the chance to just race. And we get into it. We got to the last race of the year. Honda signed a new deal to keep him there as the test rider next year. And they said, you know what? You've done a great job all weekend. There's no new parts in the bike this this at Portimao. Just do your thing. And he, you know, he rewarded them for rewarding him, as it were. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. From both sides. Yeah. 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 Uh, I hope he's got a good contract with them because he was hard as a test rider and he ended up doing all these Grand Prix. So... I hope he'll uh, buy himself a new car or a nice watch. <laughs> he deserves it. Yeah. Don't forget. I don't forget. He's a former Moto2 world of champion. Course. 2011 off the top of my head. Um, I was there when he started early on because I was close with Dieter Stappard, who ran the KTM junior team in 125. Stefan was part of that. And I got a lot of time for Bradle. He's a top, top guy. Top guy. A um, couple more subjects, Simon. Um there was a uh, there was an amusing international spat between Jorge Lorenzo and Cal Crutchlow. Now that we know that Lorenzo has been officially replaced by Cal Crutchlow to be the Yamaha MotoGP test rider, sour grapes coming out of Lorenzo's iPhone. Do you reckon? Do you know what? I genuinely don't even think it is. I think Jorge Lorenzo has spent twenty years of his life with a press officer at his side monitoring every syllable that comes out of his mouth. He's now retired. He has no press officer. He has a huge social media following, and he could say whatever the hell he wants. And do you know what? He's going to make the most of that. I okay. genuinely don't think there's any sour grapes, because over the course of the last month, he's had a go at Davizioso. He's had a go at... Jack Miller, he's had multiple attacks at Crutchlow, and I, I, I genuinely, I just think he thinks he's being honest. Well, that's that not this a bad is thing. his opinion, and yeah, exactly, you know. And we always complain about PR robots and motorsport, so you know, screw it. Let's have someone that's willing to to shit their mouth off now and then. You never thought that Jorge Lorenzo would be the new Anthony Gobert. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, he has a long way to go. Well, there is a long way to go, but Gobert in his day when he was trackside, holy smoke, we had some fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, as I, I put a tweet out, I said, can you imagine, you know, the the, the the big sparring battles if they'd had Twitter in the day, Schwantz and Rainey and Mick and Alex or Gobert and Scott Russell or somebody like that. Oh, yeah. Good days. Good days. Uh, Aprilia. Uh, no Ianoni. We touched on that last week. 
No Bradley Smith, probably. No Savadori, probably. Chaz Davis, who knows? Who's going to be on the Aprilia next year? Where where have they got to? Oh, so I thought we had an answer to this and then everything's been turned upside down again. I heard from multiple good contacts in the paddock yesterday that American Moto2 rider Joe Roberts had signed a deal. That it was all done and dusted that he was going to be an Aprilia MotoGP rider next year. In fact, that he was going to be an Aprilia MotoGP rider tomorrow at the their first test in, in Jerez. And now I'm hearing that there's been a change of heart. There was a contract signed by someone. I don't know if it was signed by both parties. It has been ripped up. He's staying in Moto2. As of now, the team is going to test in Jerez with one race rider in the shape of Alicia Spagaro and Bradley Smith in the other bike. Let's hope that that all works out. So, as we start to conclude 2020, Simon, what's the latest on the 2021 calendar and how is Carmelo Espeleta working hard on the phone? It will have melted, I think, by now, if it hasn't already. <laughs> well, like we've already touched upon, it looks like America and Argentina are probably not going to happen next year. Um, simply because the prospect of international travel that soon is just a little bit too much to that side of the world. Uh, it also sounds like international travel to the other side of the world is probably unlikely and there will be no Sepang test. Uh, so what we're likely to see right now, from what I understand, is obviously, as we've discussed, that option to go to Portimao before Jerez looks fairly good to go. But the other thing that I've heard is that we will go to Qatar for maybe up to a month. We'll go to Qatar, we'll do two tests, we'll do two races. We'll get all of that testing and racing out of the way at the start of the year because Qatar is a relatively safe country where, you know, if they have to build a PCR testing lab at the circuit to get us all in, they'll just do it. You know, it, it's easy to do things in Qatar when money is no object. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that'll kick off the year. Um, and then it looks, you know, like we, we can have a fairly routine, regular season. From what I understand, Dorna have said the calendar will be locked into place in January. There will be no last minute amendments or reshuffles or anything halfway through the season that we, you know, will be given a schedule and said, this is it now. Because changes just wastes money for team coordinators losing hotel rooms exactly uh, flights cargo trucks lost tires freight it, it's it's just a ridiculous waste of money changing it last minute exactly exactly so um yeah assuming all that happens you know there's no reason why we still can't have a 20 round championship as journalists we all have a run in with Dorna now and again but i do have to take my hat off to carmelo you know, he 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 said thank you, thank you, thank you to the circuits. It it's all down to them. It's not been easy. Money has had to be drawn from different places that isn't the fans coming through the door. Obviously, they were very thankful of that from the riders' point of view to Carmelo. But Carmelo did give the race of the year, the organisation of the year, to every Grand Prix circuit at the awards ceremony last night. And I thought, fair play to him. He's a wise owl. He's been around forever, forever. He's no spring chicken. But the experience, I think, has really come to bear this year with Dorna and Carmelo. So uh, fair play. I take my hat off. 
Simon, thank you. Thank you. We will be doing more MotoGP podcasts in the off-season, so keep in touch for analysis, tech talk, and maybe some retro flashbacks into the world of MotoGP and maybe the MotoGP paddock and maybe the odd nightclub. So do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs> keep in touch with the-race.com. Simon's already mentioned a story that he's got up his sleeve and that'll be published soon. Keep in touch with our Twitter account at WeAreTheRace, at Toby Moody for myself, at Denkmit for Simon Patterson and at Spalders for Neil Spalding for everything technical and MotoGP. So thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in and listening wherever you are in the world. In the meantime, from myself, Toby Moody, and Simon Patterson, it's bye for now. Bye.